Listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Saida Unju, and I have a packed show for you today. We have three interviews, and I also have a review that I will be doing myself. Our first interview is with Margaret Grenier uh, about the Coastal Dance Festival. Our second interview is, I believe, no, wait, our first interview is with Sean Dacey. Never mind. Our first interview of the day is with Sean Dacey about the new exhibition coming up in uh, Richmond Art Gallery. Our second interview <laughs> is with Margaret Grenier about the Coastal Dance Festival. And then I will also have my review. Uh, and then after that, we have my interview with Tim Carlson about We Teach Our Objects How to Speak Our Language, which is a uh, music video part of a bigger project called Isolation Suite. Okay, uh, I'm not going to speak much because, as I said, it's very packed. So I don't want to ramble. And I just I really hope you you enjoy today's show. It's just it's going to be a lot of me. Expect to hear my voice a lot because it's just me and the people I interview. <laughs> also, in between the interviews, we will be popping in and out of Adam PSA breaks. I'm not going to pop back in. Don't want to waste time. Um, but yeah, so... Oh, oh my God, hit my microphone. So <laughs> up next... Up first, I guess, my interview with Sean Dacey. Enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Sean Dacey, who is the curator of Inaction at the Richmond Art Gallery, of which he's also the director, and Inaction is already up and running until April 3rd. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. Uh, to start us off, can you tell us what Inaction is and what can people ex expect from this exhibition? Yeah, um, Inaction is a, a brand new exhibition we have here at Richmond Art Gallery by artist Brendan Fernandez. He's a Canadian artist based in Chicago. Um, his work explores the intersection between visual arts and dance. So um, when you come visit the gallery, 
um, you will get to see this amazing two-channel piece, uh, video piece called Free Fall for Camera, mm-hmm. um, a dance performance uh, video installation. And then uh, the art gallery has commissioned um, nine new sculptural works, um, which are mobile um, platforms and devices that four local dancers will be using um, as a choreography Brendan has created. And uh, depending if the health order changes, we will have some in-person performances at the end of March. But um, at the very least, we're creating a video version um, of this new performance uh, that will launch in early April. um, So people will be able to see that. So, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. And so talking about the the video launch, I read that the performance will be live streamed on April 3rd, which is the last day of the exhibition. And so Mm -hmm. I was wondering if this date was chosen specifically or so that you know they can enjoy it after the exhibition or what's the reason behind that well it's it, it it's interesting um and it, it i think it mainly links to the health order and to covid um in the sense of um because of the these situations and because brendan can't physically come um, the dan- uh, our local dancers are actually just beginning to learn the choreography. So Brendan has mm-hmm. created a score uh, for these dancers to kind of move through the sculptural works, which are um, would when you walk into the gallery, you you get the vibe that you're entering like a gym or a playground. Mm-hmm. The objects, it's like one is kind of like a, a a grid of of pipes that feels like a playground one is like a triangle a three-dimensional triangular mat um so the dancers are are learning this choreography and mm-hmm. so you know in mid-march we'll be shooting this video and then it'll be ready by <laughs> april the third and this has been an interesting aspect of the show um the show was initially prepared before covid mm-hmm. and brendan's work is really about collaboration you know, working closely with the dancers um, and hosting a dance performance in the physical space. So um, now we've really had to rethink what that could mean. The original performance had 20 uh, 20 dancers. We're Mm -hmm. working with four um, this time around. So we're really taking the time to think through what it it means to present dance um, in this moment. Yeah, that's really interesting. I have myself, I've never heard of or seen an exhibition that kind of comes alive with dance. And so it's a really unique concept, which just sounds amazing. And I'm excited to see it myself. And so what I'm wondering is as the curator, um, how or why did you decide that inaction was the right choice for Richmond Art Gallery right now? Yeah, so I think initially, um, before COVID, (laughs) um, I think there was two choices that were made. So the initial idea of taking on the show, um, I agree with you, I haven't actually seen a lot of exhibitions that are standalone exhibitions that also have elements that uh, work with live performers or or with dancers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Richmond Art Gallery is in the Richmond Cultural Center. This is a community center where the public library is. Um, upstairs, there's the art center where actually a lot of young people in Richmond do dance for the first time. They learn ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really have an audience that isn't really connected to contemporary art. Um, so I'm always looking for shows that have these um, interesting entry points. So. Mm-hmm. And with that history of dance happening in our building and interest in dance in general, it seemed like a nice fit for a broader audience to, to connect with. Um, another major part of the show, so Free Fall for Camera, the video piece that you can see when you, when you come in, and I, I really recommend coming to see this piece, um, it, it, comes, it comes out of a response to this mass shooting that happened at Pulse nightclub um, in, in Florida in 2016, mm-hmm. I think. Um, 
and this was a gay nightclub and um many mainly latino lgbtq people were were murdered in mm-hmm. in, in this horrific act and the the impetus of the of the original piece um was a memorial in a sense to those people that lost their lives. Um, so in the, in the video that you see in the gallery, um, it's 16 dancers um, who are kind of exploring this act of falling and of uh, also of getting up and this idea of support and care. So as dancers fall, other dancers are picking them back up and they're working together to do these movements um, and it's really this um, cross section between uh, like professional classical trained dance and that idea of the nightclub or that more free sense of dance and mm-hmm. the idea of the nightclub as a safe space for LGBTQ. So um, a reason for me to pick this work is really um, in Richmond, it can still feel like quite a conservative place. Mm-hmm. And there are many LGBTQ people in Richmond who, you know, may, may not feel that they are supported or can, or, or feel a part of the Richmond community. So another aspect of what we do at the art gallery is to, is to bring in projects like Brendan's that um, I think show positive support for um, communities that may feel marginalized and wanting to be a safe space to explore um, some of these issues. A second part to the answer is um, at this time of COVID, uh, it's we're all meant to be socially distant. We're all meant to be apart. And Brendan's whole show is about coming together, mm-hmm. care, support, uh, s- systems of support, dancing together. Yeah. So in a certain way, it's almost perfect because you walk into the video installation and it's um, it's quite immersive because it's two channels, it's huge projections and you almost feel surrounded by these dancers. It's almost, for me, it feels like a therapy or uh, for this moment that we're in where I can stand in this space. And the, the video also has this kind of bassy dance music sort of sound. Mm-hmm. And I can almost experience that thing that I'm missing um, at this moment. So it's nice that we can create that in the gallery at this moment where we're all sort of separated and people can come in, be distant, but ha- socially distant and follow the rules, but still have this experience. And, you know, we had the dancers in the other day to begin to plan out. And I was, you know, I was feeling a little bit down of, you know, opening the show now and um, just through the whole installation process. But the minute the dancers were there, and we see them moving through the sculptures, it just felt alive and felt like um, it made sense why the show was happening. So um, we're so excited to be able to share that as well. So yeah, those are kind of the the reasonings behind the show. Yeah, that's, there's some great reasons. <laughs> it's just the more you talk about it, the more interesting and it sounds and the more excited I get. It's it sounds wonderful. And so did you reach out to Brendan about this exhibition or did Brendan come to you? How did this happen? So Brendan and I have a long uh, working relationship. I've I've worked with him a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my pre- a previous job I had at the Contemporary Art Gallery, which is an institution in downtown Vancouver, I hosted Brendan for a a residency where he worked with Ballet BC mm-hmm. and he was beginning to, th- to think through this intersection between dance and visual art. And actually it connects because um, he has a background. He g- grew up uh, training in ballet mm-hmm. and being a person of color and being, um, you know, not the perfect body for dance. He, you know, as he, the further you get into ballet, the more harsh it can kind of feel. And yeah. um, in this original, in this original um, piece, he worked with something called like a foot stretcher, which looks like this um, yep. torture device. <laughs> it really does. I know though. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and he did a, he planted a performance with it and, so now looking at this, seeing the work he's making now, which are 
these sculptural pieces look like supports for dancers, like these tumblers look like something you hold on to and kind of move with. And there's these metal pipe grids that could be used to stretch on. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's still thinking through all these same things. Whereas in other works you may have seen um, where he's kind of in connecting ballet with queer culture and SNM and maybe looking at the darker side of it. I think in this show, it's really considering the more positive attributes of togetherness, working collaboratively, support systems. So the devices become these supports. Um, so I was really interested in that. And so this is actually a partnership with Wesleyan University. So mm-hmm. we actually presented this exhibition in fall 2019 in Connecticut. And okay. we were so lucky to receive a Canada Council co-production grant. And this is Richmond Art Gallery's first co-presentation with a U.S gallery Mm -hmm. um so it's so nice to work with brendan again and to um do this collaborative project um between the u.s and canada with an artist who actually lives and works between the two places so so yeah uh, we've been we've been in contact for many years and it just seemed like a really good fit and uh it it kind of came out of that Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah great um so as the curator yourself, you have a lot more insight to the exhibition, as we can understand from everything that you've to- told us so far. Uh, so my question is, do you have any recommendations when it comes to viewing the exhibition? You know, maybe like start from this sculpture and go there. Like, I don't know, do this. Just anything that you think might make the experience better? yeah i think you know there was always planning what it would be like before the pandemic (laughs) um and so i think in this moment when you come into the gallery you're going to walk through these um static sculptures that i talked about this um triangle three-dimensional mat this um carpet piece these tumblers these are the props and the mobile supports that the that the artists the um the dancers will utilize but i think you should go right through into the back of the gallery to where we have the free fall for camera installation and i think watching that watching that video piece and feeling that installation in there will help you get a sense of the idea of bodies moving through space and i think you'll begin to then imagine bodies moving through and using the other sculptures and objects and seeing how those sort of connect um i think is a is a good way of of moving through the show um also the cart there's a beautiful uh rug in the middle of the gallery and brendan welcomes people to um sit down on it hang out have a conversation it's really meant to be a center point in the exhibition and you know if we were able to gather people we would be hosting a series of conversations um, we've been encouraging people to have meetings or just to hang out so i also encourage you to sit down on the carpet and have a conversation if you're with someone or um but with that all said, um, I do also encourage people to come on Saturdays. We do have um, our attendants um, on site. And on Saturdays, we have an extra attendant who can give people walkthroughs um, in the afternoon and talk to them about each of the pieces. And um, if they're interested, people can just stop by. And um, and actually, any day of the week, mm-hmm. our, our gallery attendants are very attentive and, and love to have conversations with people and talk talk deeper about the show and then yeah i think also you know follow us on social media yes. um keep eye on, an eye on our website and we'll have more information about um we'll be launching the digital performance on april 3rd but mm-hmm. if things do change we will have um some in-person performances at the end of march so we just have to wait how with how things go um, but we're really hoping that there may be a potential even with limited numbers of people so that you can experience that Mm -hmm. that uh with the local dancers yeah yeah hopefully that'll be possible it just sounds like a once in a lifetime experience and so what's your website just to remind everyone 
So it's richmondartgallery.org. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And yeah. do you have anything you would like to mention before we go? It's, it's been it's it's been really fun to to chat with you. I'm uh, uh, thank you. I'm a UBC alumni, so Ooh, I, uh, I love that. <laughs> I'm very happy when you you guys are interested in in what we're what we're doing all over the place. And yeah, just encourage people. Our shows change every uh, two months. Mm -hmm. We have an exciting listing of shows. If you live in Richmond, um, come out. It's free. Um, yeah, please please come and. Uh, enjoy what we have on offer and thank you so much yeah. yeah no thank you thank you for joining me that was amazing this quarter magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years thanks to the long-term support of the rickshaw theater Discorder lives favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theatre, check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheatre.com. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass rent evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I Inaction sounds amazing. I really want to go see you myself, but it's in Richmond, and I live near UBC, so... Uh, and I'm really busy. So, you know what? I hope, I hope I can see it. If I can't, you go. You go see it for me, please. Thank you. <laughs> so, on to my review of Tomorrow Love, which was presented by Studio 58. And if you want to know more about Tomorrow Love, if you want to get some insight, go listen to our previous episode where I had my interview with Ray Ko, who is one of the actors that was in Tomorrow Love. Also, exciting news, we're now on Spotify. So you can just search up Arts Report and we will show up on Spotify. It's so exciting. If you don't have Spotify, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. If you don't have that one either, you can listen to us at citr.ca. If you don't have data, you can download the episode. Literally, there's no reason that you can't listen to us. We have every single thing that you could want. <laughs> Okay, so Tomorrow Love was not a full-length play. It was 13 playlets, 14 if you count the one that was done both in Cantonese and in English. And that one was uh, Office Friends, just, you know, to let you know. So I have to start off by saying I have literally nothing negative to say about this. I thought that everyone did such a good job everyone you know gave their 100 percent the actors were acting with masks on they were still able to um to present the play and perform just as well as they would without masks and that's very important because with masks basically all you have is your eyes and i guess your eyebrows and you might not think to use them as much when you don't have to. But now it's very important because if you don't use your eyes and your eyebrows, it just looks like you're reciting lines and it's just you're not acting, you know. And so I found that they did a great job. Also, oh, my God, I hope I'm not mistaken. The playwright should be Rosamund Small. Damn. Oh, my God. Every single playlet, so creative. Uh, there are some stuff that I would not have been able to think of if I wanted to. It's so creative. I was amazed by the amount of creativeness that came out of <laughs> Rosamund Small for these playlets. Honestly, they were all very futuristic. They had some type of technology that 
might not be present slash definitely isn't present right now like extracting your soul and being able to give it to your ex-girlfriend or talking to your dead wife through Skype you know stuff like that (laughs) and I think all of the playlets had some type of relationship problems uh which was quite interesting to see because they were all very different so like for example till skype do us part the one that i just said you know dad talking to your dead wife through skype the problem there was that you know the wife ended up going away anyways so like they were still fighting Uh, even though she was dead and she wasn't able to remember stuff after a while and so there was some type of problem there or eternal space logic they were basically this couple was fighting about a fridge that was eternal Um, one of them wanted the fridge the other one didn't want the fridge and though even though they were fighting about the fridge you know they weren't really fighting about the fridge (laughs) we all know what was going on there and talking about eternal space logic I want to mention that um I think I was like oh this is a cute parallel between two playlets that maybe wasn't intentional so in the first one I watched with which was just like a movie and the one I just mentioned eternal space logic um they were both the both of the couples at one point they were like touching their feet to each other which wasn't present in any of the other playlets and I was like oh that's cute that's a cute parallel (laughs) and talking about just like a movie I really liked the directing overall in all of the playlets Uh, there were two directors just to let you know Um, one of them had seven playlets the other one had six and in just like a movie I loved how they switched places when they switched places. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Sarah? Well, what I mean is that basically there were two characters, right? One of them is going to die. She's sick. And so before she dies, she wants to show her partner her memories. They have the technology for that, as I mentioned in the beginning. New technology. And then so she's sitting on the left in the beginning and her partner's sitting on the right. Throughout the playlet, they talk about it, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, they decide that maybe it's better if her partner shows her her memories instead of her showing her partner her memories. So much her. I'm so sorry. So basically, the one dying will be seeing the memories instead of showing her her own memories. And when they reach the conclusion, they were they switched where they were sitting. So her partner was sitting on the left now and she was sitting on the right and so you know they switched places when they switched places which I thought was genius I you know it might be very small you might think well every director is gonna figure that out it's not that genius but I thought it was really creative and I think it was really good okay um Oh, I have to, oh my god, I have to mention how good the lighting and projection was. The lighting and projection designer, oh my god, I have to look up their name, I don't remember, but that was so good. Every single time, I was, I was amazed by the lighting and the projection, the, like, you know, yes, technicality, that was very good, everything was done on time, but the design Oh my god, the design was so good. Um, What else? I honestly, I have nothing negative to say about Tomorrow Love. Everything was really good. Lighting design by Sophie Tang. Damn, good job, Sophie Tang. Yeah, Rosamund Small is the playwright. Okay, I got that right. Good job, me. Um, While I'm at it, I can tell you, directed by Shekhar Paleja and Lauren Taylor, set in costume designed by Melissa Zaini. Sound design by Mary Jane Coomber and under directors of photography were Peter Carlone and Mike Lang. And also, yeah, it was filmed. Uh, it was really good. It was really good being able to see close-ups that you wouldn't be able to see normally if you were to see this in a theater like Studio 58's normal basement, you know? And yeah, the actors, every single one of them, 
wonderful. They gave their 100%, as I said. Uh, they were acting with masks, and that was just incredible. Um, yeah. Also, I want to mention the playlet that Ray was in, um, called Perfect, gave us the asexual asexual representation that we very desperately need and I was very happy when I saw that and yeah I think I feel like I'm just repeating myself at this point I just have nothing negative to say uh, about Tomorrow Love everything was done really well every single detail was cared for I usually catch little details that are negative and I'm like mm, maybe I shouldn't mention it it's just too small but then you know this one I, I found pretty much nothing also I took notes for every single playlet so if you can hear the papers shuffling that's me turning the the papers because I have like five six pages of notes on this <laughs> and unfortunately I don't have time to discuss every single one of them separately so if you want to hear my thoughts on tomorrow love any further just message me on instagram we're at arts report citr or at twitter which is citr underscore arts report and i would love to discuss it with you if you're one of the actors at studio 58 and you want to know my thoughts on your playlet again dm me i would love to talk to you i love talking to every single one of you guys i mean i had my interview with ray and sierra and i loved speaking to both of them and so, yeah, overall, Tomorrow Love, 10 out of 10. Uh, I wish it wasn't done so you could see it after listening to this review, but unfortunately it is. So instead, keep your eye out for Studio 58's next production, which will be a musical. I'm so excited about it. My, oh my God, uh, I love musical theater so much. Okay. If you want, honestly, yeah, again, if you want to know how much I love musical theater, listen to our previous episodes and you'll see why. Okay, I, this is all the time I have, unfortunately. We have two more interviews coming up. So now gonna ha we're going to have my interview with Margaret Grenier about the Coastal Dance Festival. Afterwards, quick Adam PSA break, and then we'll be right back with my interview with Tim Carlson. And enjoy! Hello everyone, today I'm speaking with Margaret Grenier, who is the Artistic and Executive Director of the Coastal Dance Festival, which is presented by Dancers of Damlahemet, which is an annual celebration of indigenous arts form from communities across the Northwest Coast. This year will mark the 14th year of the festival and it will be held between March 12th and March 18th. Um, hello Margaret, thank you for being here. How are are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So uh, the Coastal Dance Festival happened in person last year, right? In 2020? Yes, we were very fortunate. We had our 2020 festival and uh, about two weeks later was when everything shut down with the pandemic. So we were able to have live performances for 2020. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, when things shut down, as you said, right after the festival, did you think you would be able to have the festival in person this year since there was a whole year um, until now? Or did you already start planning on having a virtual event? After the festival last year, it felt like everything was quite unclear. It was it was very difficult to plan. It, um, we imagined that we would be able to have live audiences, but we also made plans for um, alternative possibilities. And even as we came into the fall, um, it was difficult to tell what things would be like at this time. So it, it was a number of um, different scenarios in our planning this year, but we're really happy that we were able to pull something together and have a virtual presentation. Yeah, um, it's great that you're still able to do it. Um, excited to talk more about it. And so, as I mentioned when I was introducing this celebration, this festival is a vital celebration for Indigenous arts from the Northwest Coast. And I wanted to ask how you think this past year has impacted the 
this practice of cultural sharing in indigenous communities? It's been a very challenging year. A number of our uh, cultural gatherings and ceremonies have been canceled uh, for many communities. And I think people are really missing the opportunity for um, sharing through song and dance. Some of the artists that we spoke to as we were preparing for the festival mentioned that they hadn't worn the regalia since last spring. So it really is something that the, the artists are missing as well as um, those who will be able to, to witness as well. So I, I think that's why we decided that we wanted to have a festival, even if it needed to be on a smaller scale and online only. Um, it was just, uh, it's just been such a hard uh, period of time to not be able to practice at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. And I guess it kind of answers itself, but I still want to ask why the Coastal Dance Festival is important and why should people tune into this festival to see all of these um, presentations, I guess. Um, I think there's something that is... Um really significant about the artists that come together for the Coastal Dance Festival. And that's that it's more than just a sharing of arts. It's a, it's a sharing that really comes from the hearts of the artists. Um, over the past uh, few generations, there's been so much work of revitalization of, of language, of song, of, of dance, and it's an intergenerational practice that connects elders with, with youth and, and carries um, uh, many aspects to it that really encompasses our identity as Indigenous peoples. So I think that what people witness when they experience the festival is that it's something that carries so much meaning uh, to the artists themselves. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. And... Oh, oh my god, I'm so sorry. So uh, this year's festival is featuring the world premiere of a new short dance work in honor of Elder Margaret Harris, who founded the Dancers of Damwa Hamid with her husband. And I was wondering if this work was choreographed in her honor? Yes, um, it's been a very challenging process as well to create the work and it will be a small sharing, um, something that we will further develop once we're able to go back into the studio and, and spend more time with it. But it's also been very hard to find a way to grieve. Over this past year, we lost um, Elder Margaret Harris, who's my mother last summer. Um, and because of the pandemic, we, we weren't able to properly um, you know, go through ceremony and, and do all the things that we would normally do. So I think that for our family, the the dance is, is about celebrating her legacy and her mm -hmm. impact in our family and community, but also a way for us to, to process her loss and, and to find a way to move forward as a family. Yes. Um, I'm so sorry for your loss, by the way. I did not know that um, she was your mother also. So this must be even more um, intense and important for you. And when is this work going to be displayed? Um, when can people watch it? Will it be av available throughout the festival? Is it one day only? Uh, yes, we're going to share the festival um, throughout the week, um, understanding that it's always difficult for um, our audiences to um, to be able to uh, be available at a specific time. So starting on March 12th and going through the 18th, uh, all of the performances will be available online through our website and people can um, sort of browse through the performances mm -hmm. and and um, at whatever time that they're able to to share with them. Okay, and so it's not going to be, well, not just this specific work, but generally the works in the festival aren't going to be live streamed, but more of they're recorded and people can reach them and watch them when they can during the length of the festival. Yes, yes, they'll be available throughout the weekend. And in part, that was also 
um, this, it was decided to be shared in this way because a number of the artists are going to be sharing from their home communities. Mm -hmm. um, and it just wasn't really possible, even, especially in the more remote communities, to, to have very um, reliable internet and, and all of that side of things. So we, want, we decided that it was important that we pre-record the performances for sharing. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. And also, um, I feel like it's also a great way to reach people who are not only in Vancouver or not just Canada, but also maybe international audiences can also tune in. And I, I also want to ask, how can people find out more about the Coastal Dance Festival? How can they um, sign up? to watch the performances? Um, we try to make the festival, uh, the Coastal Dance Festival, as accessible as possible mm -hmm. this year. So the performances are free. Uh, you simply have to go to the Dancers of Dam Lahamid uh, website um, and go onto the festival page. And during the dates of the festival, um, all of the, the footage that the artists are sharing will be accessible through the web page. Okay, that sounds great. And is there a way for people to support dancers of Dam Lahamid? Yes, there's uh, the option to donate and that is also um, available on the festival. And um, we really uh, appreciate any of the support that, that people are able to offer, but we're also very much aware that this has been a very challenging year for, for many people. And so we didn't want to um, present the festival in the way in which anything was being asked of anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And I'm wondering how many performances there are within the festival this year. Um, it's a smaller festival. We have a total of um, eight dance groups or, or eight uh, different uh, groups of artists who are going to be sharing from their communities, some of which will be in the Vancouver area. Um, the Squamish uh, artists and the Musqueam artists will be part of the festival this year, um, as well as uh, we do have a uh, dance artists from the Yukon and from Alaska who will also be sharing as part of the festival. But everyone who is part of the festival for this year has in some capacity had a relationship with it over the years. It's really was about um, bringing our community together, about supporting these artists and, and finding um, the ways that people could share. Not, not everybody could could do a full performance. Mm -hmm. and, at this time because of all of the restrictions that that we have to um, to face right now. But we really wanted to encourage um, a sharing of any kind from from all of our artists. Okay. Thank you. And is there anything mm -hmm. that you would like to mention or say to the audience about the Coastal Dance Festival or um, just anything about relating to the arts in general? Um, I think the one thing that I would like to share is just that um, whenever we were speaking with the artists and, and putting the festival together, there was, um, it sparked something very beautiful. I think that um, there's a lot of hope <laughs> that comes from uh, the songs and the dances that are going to be shared and, and just seeing how hard the artists work to try and put something together. So I hope that that's what the audience receives. I hope that they they experience that in, in the performances, even though it'll be shared online and it's not the same as gathering as in person. I, I hope that that feeling comes through. Yeah, I hope so too. I'm sure it will. Thank you so much for speaking with me about the Coastal Dance Festival. I appreciate it. And I'm really excited to sign up and watch the performances myself. Thank you again for having me today. Of course. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. 
For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theater, visit their website at www.riotheater.ca. My name is David Scott. I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team, and I'm here to discuss the Be More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. For more information on the cause, please visit endingviolence.org. Today I'm joined with Tim Carlson, who is a playwright, musician, and performer, and we will be talking about We Teach Our Objects How to Speak Our Language, which is a stop-motion animation music video for which Tim wrote the lyrics. Uh, hi Tim, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm good. Good to be here. Thank you. So I mentioned that we're talking about this music video, but I'm wondering what it is all about. Okay, well, the music video is um, a special project, kind of a side project for a larger collection of music by my band called Calculi. Mm -hmm. uh, and the music also appears um, in a play that I'm writing, which will be an online audio series uh, called Isolation Suite, which will launch online. Uh, through Theater Conspiracy, my company, along with Rumble Theater. Uh, yeah, that will premiere um, mid-April. Mm -hmm. So as part of uh, building an audience, uh, both for the show and for the band, we're doing a number of um, music videos. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one, we were lucky to get uh, a CBC Canada Council Digital Originals grant, which uh, allowed my colleagues, uh, Ula Laidlaw and Margaret Krawacka, um, to spend considerable obsessive time <laughs> <laughs> making this uh, object animation video. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it was inspired by the title we teach our objects how to speak our language. Yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned that this is uh, part of Isolation Suite, which is a hybrid drama, poetry, and music audio series. And so how did this all come about? Did you guys kind of come up with Isolation Suite and we teach our objects how to speak our language? Um, together? Did someone have the idea and then you got involved with the project? How did it all happen? Right. Um, maybe about three years ago, I got interested in uh, the subject of social isolation, uh, mm -hmm. depression, and suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a period where um, a number of friends and colleagues were going through some really tough stuff. Uh, and I did some of my own counseling, you know, I had a lot of feelings about it, um, and a lot of research. And uh, in recent years, I've been doing more documentary-type theater, but this one really resisted that treatment. When I got into the subject matter, I found I was writing more verse and songs to do with these uh, subjects, and then gradually thought of um, who's the character writing these songs. Mm -hmm. And then the character Undone appeared from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been in the making for three years now? Yes. Wow. That's um, and as part of that research, I was doing a lot of research just around um, depression-related grief mm -hmm. and how it affects uh, people who have chronic depression and also people in their social circles or family, friends, mm -hmm. etc. And I happened to come across this poetry review in the New Yorker mm -hmm. and one of the lines 
uh, referring to one of the poems, uh, the critic wrote, we teach our objects how to speak our language. And that just stuck in my mind. Mm. And I went back to this review, I don't know, a dozen times and found all of these very evocative phrases mm -hmm. that I kind of cut up, rearranged. It's a collage of phrases from that uh, interview. And then uh, the rest of the song is from the perspective of the character Undone. Mm -hmm. Um, and both, uh, I don't know, these phrases and the idea of objects just brought to uh, mind um, the talking heads like Fear of Music um, from, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s, the way David Byrne, a lot of those lyrics in his songs are half-spoken or very declarative. and. Uh, the phrases that I uh, used in this song just reminded me of that. So that was kind of the starting point for the song uh, in terms of sound. I don't know if anybody thinks it sounds like talking heads <laughs> <laughs> after all this production and everything. Uh, I'd be interested to know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting to find out what people think. And so mm -hmm. you mentioned that you were kind of interested in this idea of social isolation which is kind of both tragic and funny thinking about the fact that we're currently we have been in social isolation for the past year so yeah i think it might in the past year it's become the most common experience that everybody in the world is in some sense dealing with yeah and do you think the research that you did three years ago about this is kind of similar to what you have experienced do you think if you could help your past self in terms of this um, research for this project would you have changed anything what would you have said to past tim hmm. that's um do you mean now having the experience yes. within the pandemic yes um <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> write about something else. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's uh, it's both disturbing and fascinating, uh, inspiring. Um, I guess I feel lucky that I did discover this music. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, the scenes are quite comic. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe in some sense, I apply both of those things to my situation <laughs> now. Um, I kind of think of this show, the show's tone is brightly depressing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> great. <laughs> That's a great description. And so for this uh, video specifically, how was the process? Was the video created first and then you kind of adapted the lyrics for that or um did the lyrics come first and then the video happened how did that whole happen yes well um the video started in production in the summer um i had been working on the song for over a year um just trying different things out especially lyrically mm -hmm. uh but we recorded it in the summer um my band member uh, collaborator is Christy Watson. In uh, our band is Cold Calculi. We recorded it uh, with a great uh, local engineer, mm -hmm. um, John Wood, um, and played around with the song a lot. It's got a lot of layers now. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, Margaret. Kroweka, who is the animator, video director, and Ula Laidlaw, um, who edited it and also helped with the animation. They worked on it uh, September through November, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took about three weeks of um, using Margaret's apartment in Toronto, turning it into an animation mm -hmm. studio. <laughs> both of them wearing masks and 
doing this incredibly detailed work. Um, I should mention that um, uh, Isolation Suite was supposed to uh, premiere this spring at the Kulch, but it was canceled, of course, yeah. due the, to the pandemic. And uh, it, it was kind of a natural uh, transformation to go to an audio series since it's so music driven mm -hmm. and uh, the text is largely an interior monologue. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll sound, uh, make a lot of sense uh, uh, in your earbuds <laughs> or headphones. Um, and so Margaret and Ula were originally supposed to come out here and work as set lighting and video designers mm -hmm. and of course they couldn't come out to work so this was also a way to um keep our collaboration going and uh for them to apply their skills um, margaret's also a um architect and installation artist mm -hmm. uh so she was doing that work in miniature kind of in this video okay and how do you think this work compares to your well the process of the work um compares to your previous projects is this something that you would normally take on is it similar to your previous projects um i've been doing more music related projects in recent years uh the last one uh, was an adaptation of my friend Tanya Marquardt's um, memoir called Stray. Mm -hmm. She's New York-based now. Um, um, it's her experience as a teen runaway in, uh, in BC small towns in the 80s, 90s. And then the process of going to new york to write this memoir and it's told almost all in song mm -hmm. um, and i wrote the music and we uh collaborated on the rest of that project together so but i would say that most of my work over the years has been documentary theater mm -hmm. and dramatic work okay okay and so going back to you talking about the process you mentioned that the animations were done in Toronto and you guys recorded during summer um, which I'm assuming is this past summer during COVID yep. and mm -hmm. did you guys record in a studio were the studios open did you do it at like a home um, it was John's basement okay. um, as soon as the pandemic hit Christy and I decided we were going to be a family bubble mm -hmm. as a band, a band bubble. <laughs> um, so we worked together uh, throughout the pandemic in person, um, thinking that if we didn't have this music outlet, we'd just go absolutely stir crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Um, by the time this airs, which for us is in three days, the video where we teach our objects how to speak our language um, will have premiered um, five days ago. So everyone can watch it. Everyone can enjoy it. And where can people find it? Um, you can look up Cold Calculi on YouTube. There's a link uh, from the Theater Conspiracy website and uh, on our Bandcamp page for Cold Calculi, there's a link there as well. Mm -hmm. And people can find your other music work there too? Yes, I think it's just four songs right now, but mm -hmm. over the course of the next uh, four to five months, we should have an album length um, number of songs. Okay, there. that sounds there's, great. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anything that you would like to mention to tell the audience before we go? Um, I guess just a little bit more about this character. Of if course. In the video, you imagine kind of being in his home. Mm -hmm. um, it, this, it's a very surreal existence that he's living. 
his situation is he's going gray mm -hmm. and that's physically his hair his eyes um mentally spiritually um uh his senses turn off and on mm -hmm. his sense of touch smell um and as he becomes further gray he loses